Thank you for joining me today for Centuries and Saints. This is Scott, and I'm looking forward to getting into our teaching today. So we will be concluding our look at the holiness of God. This is the third of that three-part teaching within season two, where we're taking a look at the attributes of God. So let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and I'll talk to you on the other side. Well, I am excited about what we're doing this morning here for this teaching, uh, because if you guys have been tracking with us uh, for the last, well, including today, four weeks, the last three weeks, not including today, uh, we have been taking a look at the attributes of God, uh, just going through the nature and the character of God as he has revealed himself in his word to us. And so, uh, the last two weeks, the two previous weeks, we have been looking specifically at the holiness of God and what that means as far as God is concerned, what that means for us, and just sort of in general, getting to know our God better and better by studying this aspect of his character and of his nature. So I've really been enjoying this. I've been enjoying my personal studies uh, as I had planned because the Lord has been gracious. Uh, We are going to finish up today um, our look at the holiness of God. And as I said last week, and I believe the week before, uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm getting, a lot of my study uh, is being done with Dr. R.C. Sproul and his classic teaching series called The Holiness of God. It's six lectures. And it's really, really good. Uh, it's really been a big blessing to me, just looking at this aspect of God's holiness and and what that means and where we see it in the Word and how it plays out through history and just all of these things. It's pretty incredible, okay? So I just want to recommend that to you guys once again, and that is available for free online. All right. Well, let's jump into our teaching today, okay? And what I want to do to start out today is, uh, once again, point out uh, the word holiness. It has two primary meanings, okay? And the primary meaning that we normally ascribe to the word holy or holiness uh, is that of righteousness or moral purity. That certainly is uh, one of the meanings of the word holy, you know, as sort of a moral perfection, you know, a, a, a very, very high standard of moral righteousness, However, uh, I believe, uh, along with Dr. Sproul, that that is more of the secondary uh, meaning of holiness. The primary meaning of the word holy means otherness, that which is other. So throughout his word, when God tells us that he is holy, uh, he's primarily communicating to us that his transcendence, his majesty, uh, his otherness, okay, that's what he's communicating to us. He is letting us know that while he loves his creation and while he, you know, is sovereignly leading and guiding his creation, that he is utterly different than his creation, okay? The triune God has made himself known to us through creation, through nature, as Paul says in Romans 1, uh, certainly through his word, the Bible, but also and primarily through his incarnation when God became a man. You know, the book of Hebrews starts out uh, by saying that, you know, in many times in various places that God spoke to us through the prophets, speaking in context there of, of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, so the incarnation is God's primary way that he has revealed himself to us when God became a man, Jesus the Christ. And so God speak, has spoken to us, pardon me, in these different ways. 
Okay. And so what God communicates about himself is that he is absolutely transcendent and different and just other, you know, over all of his creation. We, uh, we remember at the Mount of Transfiguration there in the gospel stories, you know, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up into that mountain and that he is transfigured before them, that his deity, his divinity begins to shine outwardly so that they can see it. Okay. Remember Jesus is fully human, but also fully God. All right. And his deity that had been veiled by flesh uh, begins to shine through. And the Bible says that it, it was whiter, you know, than any launderer can make clothing. You know, it's just, it's just transcendent glory. And that the disciples, you know, they fall on their faces. You know, it's amazing. Okay. And so, again, all throughout the scriptures, we see the Lord telling us that he is holy, which, again, primarily means that he is other. He's different. Okay. He is set apart uh, from the rest of his creation. It's pretty amazing. Now, throughout our society and in our worldview, uh, we have this idea and we carry this idea of holiness. All right. There are many days per year that we set aside uh, for special observance, and we call them holidays. Well, uh, it's spelled almost the same, and holiday really just means a holy day, which means a day that is set apart from other days for special observance. Those days, holidays, are different. They're not just like your average every normal day. They are different. They are set aside for a specific purpose. Now, that is an idea that we have in our society of holiness, Now, that's obviously a very basic and sort of rudimentary view of what holiness is, you know, but uh, I think it it is also apt. It gets the job done a little bit to give us an idea of what this means, you know, that holy means different, other. And of course, it also carries with it the idea of moral purity and righteousness. Absolutely. We know that God uh, is infinitely holy. You know, sin cannot dwell in his presence. So just amazing. Absolutely awesome. Uh, Dr. Sproul says this, when the one who is other touches that which is ordinary, it becomes extraordinary. When he touches you, you become uncommon. And so the difference between the profane and the holy is the difference between the common and the uncommon, between the earthy and the heavenly. Now, isn't that awesome, you guys, as we think about the fact that for those of us who are born again, who are in Christ, that our Father has touched us in this special way. He has placed the righteousness of his Son on us and cleansed us by his blood, and he's made us holy, which means that we are not just common, you know, we are uncommon. And I don't mean that in a prosperity gospel, you know, kind of way. That's not the kind of common or uncommon we're talking about. But we have been robed in the righteousness of Christ. We have been set apart by God for his purposes. Okay, no longer are we tainted by sin. Okay, but rather the Lord has cleansed us of all of our sin. It's a beautiful, amazing mystery. All right. Um, And our experience with the holy is both mysterious and powerful, and it provokes a sense of fear and awe within us. It's an amazing thing. Uh, A German theologian once called it an awful mystery. Okay. (laughs) And I think that's a very good way of putting it. It kind of has that tension that I talked about last week uh, during this teaching. You know, that when we look at God's holiness or some of those other attributes of him, you know, his wrath, his righteousness, uh, those things, they, they provoke within us, amongst other things, a sense of almost being uncomfortable, 
You know, because when we recognize how holy God is, his unutterable majesty, his transcendence, um, you know, there is an element of fear to that. There's an element of, my goodness, we realize how on our own unholy we are in the presence of perfect holiness. Uh, You know, we realize how unclean and how unholy we are, like Isaiah did, you know, when he saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. But praise the Lord, that's when we run to the cross and we remember that positionally the Father has made us holy. We are the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus if we've trusted him for our salvation, okay? And so I point all this out uh, because, again, this, this is one of those topics uh, where there's a, a fine line, you know, to be thread here uh, because the Lord's presence is sweet, you know, and there are those times when he allows us to have a more profound sense of his presence you know, and, and those times are sweet and we feel that intimate communion with him. And, and that's beautiful and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, and I fully affirm and believe in that. And I've experienced that myself. But also, uh, there is this sort of just mystery of the profound, uh, sort of the gravitas, so to speak, the weightiness, the heaviness of the presence of God uh, that, you know, by his grace, he's robed us in his righteousness and cleansed us by the blood of his son. You know, but when we are in his presence, he is infinitely holy and full of majesty. And he dwells in unapproachable light, as the scriptures say. <clears throat> and we need to remember that. There's that profound sense of reverence, of holy, uh, godly fear. You know, just the fear of the Lord, that reverential awe, you know, in which we hold him uh, because we recognize how holy, how amazing he is. It's incredible. And so as we continue our teaching today and wrapping up our look at this attribute of God, uh, it's interesting. There was a study that was done, the sociological study of various cultures around the world, people from different countries, different races, different religions, all of that, different people from all over the world. And there was a study conducted of what people think of the holy. Now, the man who conducted the study found that the main reaction of people all over the world is ambivalence. Now, ambivalence means a conflicted reaction. So, in other words, what this man found about the holy is that there's something within us that both attracts us and at the same time terrifies us about the holy. Now, for a practical example of what I mean is the example of, you know, perhaps when you're younger, I know I experienced this anyways in my childhood, you know, when you go camping outdoors, you know, when you're outdoors under the stars, it's dark, you know, kids want to hear ghost stories. We want to be scared out of our wits. You know, we want to be terrified, you know, or we intentionally will go watch a movie that we know is just going to absolutely scare us to death, you know, and make us jump out of our skin And yet we want to pay money and go experience that, you know, or something like, you know, skydiving, which I actually want to do myself, Uh, you know, something that's thrilling and exciting, but at the same time, it's terrifying. And yet I want to experience that. Why is that? You know, we have this ambivalent uh, thing within our nature that, you know, there's something that attracts us to it and yet at the same time repels us and terrifies us. And in a very base sense, uh, the same is true when it comes to the holiness of God. You know, there's, there's his unutterable holiness, his majesty, uh, that weight of his presence. I mean, my goodness, if we were to experience that in all of, of his unveiled direct presence, you know, well, in our flesh, we would just die. 
uh, you know, as Paul said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Um, it would crush us. Uh, but there's something frightening and, and in, a, in, a, in a certain sense terrifying about that, about God's perfect holiness, his infinite eternal holiness and majesty. Again, he's the eternal one who dwells in unapproachable light, that the, the, the sinless, pure angels that minister to him in his direct, unveiled presence still have to cover themselves uh, just because of his presence being so weighty and holy and just so brilliant and unapproachable in that sense. Now, that's a scary thing, you know, and that provokes within us a sense of awe, reverence, even fear. And there's that sense of, my goodness, wow, you know, how can I even come close to this one? At the same time, we're drawn to that, especially as Christians. We want to be in the presence of our Lord, you know, this God that we serve. And, you know, we're, we're drawn to him. It's so interesting. We have this ambivalent uh, response within ourselves. You know, there's something uh, that both attracts us and terrifies us about that which is holy. God being more holy by far, infinitely more so, than anything or anyone else in all of creation. It's a beautiful thing. It's, again, this great tension uh, in the Christian life. And I think that's healthy. You know, it's good for us. Uh, You know, and so uh, a practical example of this comes from looking at the children of Israel at Mount Sinai uh, in the book of Exodus after God had brought them up out of Egypt. Now, they wanted to be God's people. They wanted to have God in their lives. And yet at the same time, they were so frightened and terrified by his presence that they didn't want him to speak directly to them, uh, but rather to Moses in sort of a mediating fashion. Now, that comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. And I'm going to read that to you guys. Again, this is Exodus 20, 18 through 21. And it says this, All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us, or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Okay, again, that's Exodus 20, 18 through 21. All right. Now, that is a perfect example of what the holy does to us as human beings. It provokes wonder and even desire. We want to go and touch the mountain. At the same time, there's a sense of fear and trembling. And and again, a great, uh, the gravity of holiness, a great weightiness, you know, with holiness. Um, It's at the same time, attractive and terrifying. It's a, it's this beautiful, beautiful tension. Now, we see here, you know, that as God's people, you know, understand how holy and righteous he is, you know, they have that, that sense. They want to be his people, and at the same time, they're scared to death, you know, because they get a, a glimpse of his presence, all right? Now, it's interesting because God didn't want that separation, and that's the beautiful thing about our Lord is that although all of this is true, 
You know, he desires to be in relationship uh, with us, with his people. And it's such an amazing thing. And I'm so thankful for that. And it's kind of an interesting twist that I've noticed as I've been studying the holiness of God, you know, and really digging into this part of who he is. I've come to realize more and more how gracious and kind he is because he welcomes us into his presence. He loves us. It's just amazing, okay? Uh, and so, man, you know, I just, my prayer has been for myself and, and just sort of the church in general, just the church corporately, that we would, uh, in a sense, that we would rediscover this sense of God's holiness and majesty. Because I, I, I think there's, there's so much teaching today that focuses almost exclusively on the more comfortable aspects of God's nature, you know, his love and his grace. And please don't get me wrong. Um, I love that. And we should not diminish any of that whatsoever. But I think with that, we also, you know, need to study things like God's holiness and his righteousness and his wrath and these different aspects of his character to get to know more fully uh, this God that we serve. It's amazing just how incredible and wonderful he is and, you know, how holy and how majestic and how righteous he is and uh, just the weightiness of his glory and of his presence. It's just amazing. All right. Well, you know, hey, we're going to keep going here, wrapping up shortly. Uh, but <clears throat> I want to uh, shift a little bit now and and talk about, you know, the holiness of Christ, the holiness of Jesus. Obviously, it's the same as the holiness of God because Jesus is God. And this is what we're talking about. Uh, but in more of a unique sense regarding the incarnation of Christ. All right, now, uh, George Bernard Shaw, uh, before he became a Christian, he was trying to critique Jesus, and all he could say was this, there were times when Jesus did not behave as a Christian, (laughs) okay? Before he was saved, George Bernard Shaw could not find any higher moral standard by which to measure or criticize Jesus than Jesus himself. No matter how hostile towards Christianity or Christians, non-believers may be, how militant somebody may oppose our faith, usually people have nothing bad to say about Jesus because they know they cannot find any flaws in him. There is no imperfection, no sin, no moral flaw in Jesus. They recognize his moral purity, whether or not they want to admit it, okay? And it's so interesting because... Again, Jesus said many times, you know, which one of you can convict me of sin, you know? And it's interesting because, you know, the Pharisees and the people who opposed Jesus, one thing they could never do is they could never ever, you know, convict him or get him accused on grounds of having committed sin. Because we know that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life on our behalf to fulfill all righteousness so that we could be saved. What's interesting, though is that what non-believers, people who don't know Jesus and don't understand all that his word says, what they cannot explain is why the multitudes were clamoring for Jesus' blood and were absolutely determined to have him killed. It's interesting. You know, people cannot explain why, why at the end there, everyone wanted Jesus dead. Why were these people demanding that Pilate put him to death? Well, the reason is, obviously, we know because Jesus was telling them that he is God, all right? And what happens when people encounter the holy, either they submit to it or they harden themselves. And that's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Israel did. You know, rather than submit themselves to Jesus' lordship and kingship, they hardened themselves, okay? Uh, Because, again, true holiness is both attractive and terrifying, 
Now, let's shift to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I want to read this real quick. It says, On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him, Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, that is an awesome story. I've read that so many times, and I love it. But check this out, you guys. Uh, I think this is something that we can read over without even giving this a second thought. But look at what it says towards the end there. After Jesus rebuked the sea and the wind, and calmed them, he says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then it says, they became very much afraid and said to one another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay? They were afraid of the storm. They were afraid of dying at sea. But they were even more afraid at the absolute power and holiness that they saw in Jesus here. Now, granted, they didn't theologically understand necessarily every aspect of who he truly was and all of that, but that's interesting. I had never seen that before this week, okay, that they were more afraid in the presence of Jesus because they saw his holiness and his power on display. And that just provoked fear within them because, again, true holiness is both attractive and terrifying. It's amazing. You know, uh, early on in the Gospels, there's a story where Jesus uses Peter's boat to get to, to, to speak to the crowds. Jesus then tells Peter to cast his nets in and he catches fish. And Peter gets on his knees and says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now to us, that response seems strange. I mean, I'm thinking, Peter, it's Jesus. I mean, my goodness, it's Jesus. And he's just blessed you to catch a ton of fish. But Jesus, or or pardon me, Peter's response was, Lord, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. But what that was is that that is the response that all of us have whenever we get a glimpse of God's uh, transcendent majesty and holiness. We feel fear and shame and condemnation and desperation. Now, it's not the Lord condemning us. Don't get me wrong. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, but in the presence of perfect holiness. We, although we're as Christians, although we are forgiven, we still recognize how how far we fall and how far short we come of that holiness. And that provokes within us the same response that we see in Isaiah, in in Isaiah chapter 6. Okay? It's just amazing. God's holiness, uh, in a good way, both attractive and terrifying. Uh, But praise the Lord, he's removed uh, the fear and the dread of terror. Because of the cross, he's taken that away. He's reconciled us to himself, and he has removed that sense of dread and terror. Okay? And so that's the good news. That is the beautiful tension, you know, in which we as Christians live. You know, that God has taken away the terror and the dread, you know, and the fear of the Lord for us as Christians is that proper sense of awe and and just extreme, deep, profound reverence uh, for who he is. 
But man, when we catch a glimpse of his infinite holiness, even for just a split second, my goodness, we realize how holy he is and how unholy we are, (laughs) you know, practically, you know, day to day. Now, positionally, again, this is the good news. Positionally, God the Father has taken those of us who are Christians and placed us in Christ, and he's made us the righteousness of Christ. So positionally, we are that holy. We are infinitely holy positionally in Christ. Uh, And that's the the imputed righteousness of Christ on our behalf, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But man, it's just amazing to me, you know, and again, as we study the holiness of God and those uncomfortable feelings of fear and dread and, and <clears throat> you know, recognition of how other and transcendent he is over us, that all rises up. And at the same time, we recognize that he delights in us and loves us and desires to be with us. And it's like, how could this one who is infinitely holy want to be in our presence, to be with us and want us to be in his presence? Well, We serve a gracious, gracious God. And so as we study the holiness of God, we get an even greater appreciation for his grace. You know, because we realize how much we've sinned and how unholy we are. And then we realize that this one who is infinitely holy and sinless wants to be with us. What an incredible, incredible thing this is. That's why the gospel is such good news. You know, it's just beautiful. So, man, I pray that this study on the holiness of God has been a blessing to you guys. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to Centuries and Saints. This is Scott Matson, and we just concluded our three-part series on the holiness of God. I hope this episode has been a blessing to you. Stay tuned next week because we'll be back with another episode. And in the meantime, as always, I ask please go to the podcast store, rate the podcast, subscribe, leave us a review. It really helps. And until next time, for Centuries and Saints, this is Scott Matson.